Good morning. <coughs> it's very nice to see all of you from this vantage point. I would like to begin by asking you a quiz, a very simple quiz related to the Boys' Brigade. Who was the first chaplain of the Boys' Brigade Company? Who was the first chaplain? Goes back to more than 20 years. Well, it was none other than myself. <laughs> now, it's not to boast or say anything to draw attention to myself, but I remember that when the company started, there were a few elders, and then uh, Richard was one of them, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and uh, he said, you look more serious. <laughs> so that's how I ended up being the first chaplain. But uh, you know, when I retired last year and uh, stopped giving lectures to students, I got feedback from students which said, this lecturer is very funny. He gives funny jokes. So I changed from being somebody very serious to somebody who can joke at lectures and who can give funny stories. <laughs> but this morning is going to be a serious time, right? Because we're going to look at a very serious topic, and that is faith in the home. Now, the landscape around family and family life is changing. We all are aware of the advances of the LGBT movement, how they are fighting, uh, they are pushing the agenda to gain recognition for their same-sex marriages, to be on an equal footing with normal marriages, asking for legalization of their arrangements. Then at the same time, we also have continuing numbers of breakdown in marriages, not only in the young, young and newly married, but also, more sadly, in the older married. Those who are 30 and 40 years married, are still breaking up in their marriages. And uh, then also with that will be, the develop, I mean, will be the appearance of single-parent families and their attendant issues and struggles. Together now on the scene, we have blended families. Blended families are those where couples bring into the new marriage the children from the previous marriage. And so they live together in one house, in one household. And so there are these challenges of uh, adjusting, etc., etc. Last year, we did a WLI, Whole Life Inventory, all right? And uh, I believe and Pastor did share with us some of the findings. Some of these were, well, although it was a small survey, it indicated that many members in the church, those who responded, did put in place, do put, or did put in place spiritual practices such as family prayer, reading of the word, studying of the word, church attendance on a regular basis, participation in church services in one form or other, church service or ministries in one form or other. So those were the healthy parts of the spiritual life. But at the same time, there were some disturbing trends or data which indicated that despite these spiritual activities, there was still evidence of, uh, or there were still uh, revelations about uh, stresses in marriage, um, Pornographic addiction, pornography addiction, and so on and so forth, which indicated that all is not well on the family front in PPH. Then, together today, we are faced with the challenges of rapid advances in social media, right? None of us can escape from the intrusion into the homes of the messages and images that come through smartphones, internet, films, etc., etc., that are not always of good content, all right? And they have a very 
they pose a very strong challenge in terms of not only a preoccupation with them, but also, of course, at the same time, they gobble up our time, which could be spent more profitably in doing things that are of eternal value. So with all these uh, things in the background, um, I felt that it would be good to look at a passage that I think many of us are familiar with, and this is from the Old Testament. It's a passage that speaks about family, family life, parent-child relationships, all right? And, um, you know, in, past, in the past few Sundays, we have uh, received challenges from the book of Haggai and Ezra to come before the Lord, look up to God, and ask Him, Lord, what are your priorities? And if we think about God as our Heavenly Father, I would believe that certainly one of the priorities upon His heart is that His people set up homes where faith in Him can be evident, faith in Him is growing, and there is spiritual vitality. And so with that indication in mind, we want to turn our thoughts now to look at Deuteronomy chapter, four, um, chapter 6, verses 4 to 9. Now, I would say that largely I'll be speaking to parents, married people, but I know there are young people in the congregation this morning who are not married or may not be uh, starting to start a family anytime soon. But I would like to urge you to pay attention because uh, you can learn something from it and perhaps you will go away with some tips or handles that you will keep in mind that will equip you to be uh, faithful or help uh, successful as parents as God intends. Right? So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 4 and we will read together from the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I gave you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your homes and on your gates. The essence of Moses' charge to the Israelites is which is applicable to us today, is parents love God wholeheartedly. Internalize the Word of God in your lives and then pass them on to the next generation. In other words, he's saying parents take hold of spirituality in your own lives and then you can pass it on. So we cannot pass on to the next generation what we do not have. Now the question arises, what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our might? And I believe that we all are very, very familiar with this greatest of all commandments, right? And we can memorize it, speak it off the top of our heads. Um, and some of us may have got a deeper insight into what, it, what this means over the years. But nonetheless, I'll take a couple of minutes to perhaps go a bit more deeply into what are the implications of this commandment? Well, it is to love God with everything that we are. See, the heart and the soul are the most central things in our lives as human beings. They are the wellsprings from which 
are all the issues that describe the human being. So our desires, our affections, our purposes and will and feelings, character and thoughts, all these come under the ambit of what it is like to be a human being. God has created us with all these all these aspects of the of human character. And uh, when we talk about desires, do we conform them to those which will please and honour God? When we talk about affections, do we love those things that God loves? When we talk about purposes, do we pursue those things that God will pursue for us? When we talk about our will, do we choose that which is good in our lives? When we talk about feelings, do we subject our feelings to the truth of God's word? When we talk about character, do we pursue godliness, holiness, purity? And when we think about thoughts, do we meditate on the truth of God's word and live every day in the light of it? See, God is not for half-hearted disciples, for one of a crude word, half past six, right? He's not interested or he's not he doesn't want us to be half-hearted disciples. He desires us to be fully committed to Him. People who will honour Him, with, He doesn't want people who will honour Him only with some of their time, some of their money and their affections. He wants us to commit everything to Him and bring everything under His control, giving ourselves to Him entirely for the rest of our lives. That is His wonderful plan for each one of us. So it is a constant struggle in our daily walk with Him, His or mine, mine or His. And every point along the way, we let go a bit, we take back a bit. We let go a bit, we take back a bit. So it's a tug of war between me and God. So together with the commandment to love God wholeheartedly, is a commandment to keep God's Word in our hearts. Now the late Dr. Billy Graham said, the Bible is the only thing that can combat the devil in our lives. Quote the scriptures and the devil will run away. And that's what he said. And we see this is true, right? In the example of Jesus, when the devil came to him and tempted him, what did he do? He quoted scriptures and the devil ran away. So as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verses 9 to 11, how can a young man stay on the path of purity? By living according to God's word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Keeping God's word in our hearts, which means memorizing, will help us to keep our focus on God. It will be our guide on the decisions we make in life, a compass to keep us in line with a wholehearted commitment to God. When we memorize God's word, we carry it with us wherever we are. Yet, scripture memory is where the ball drops. Instead of tackling the enemy with the word, we are sometimes defenseless. And so we face life unprepared, like a football player who goes to the football field without his boots or without adequate uniform. Sooner or later, we get hit with decisions, with struggles, and we fall. And so we are left without defense of scriptures, 
we become victims of Satan's ploys and traps to keep us from a wholehearted devotion to Christ. Satan is God's arch enemy. He wants to win our affection and our loyalty. And he's at it 24-7. So, unless we have the Word of God constantly with us, it is very unlikely that we will win the battle each time. So will you decide today to begin the discipline of keeping in your hearts the Word of God? I believe that, you know, when you hear about this, oh, you will say all kinds of things. I'm too old. I don't think my mind is that active, that receptive. Some will say I'm too busy. I've got so many commitments. I'm running from one thing to another. But my point is that if there is a will, there will be a way. So when you are in your CGs, perhaps, maybe the seniors can get together and think tank on what are ways, given our level of seniority, what are good ways to keep our minds like a sponge still, able to take in God's word, retain it, and then bring it out, memorizing it. And I'm not talking about memorizing in terms of word-for-word word accuracy, but I'm thinking more in terms of the essence of the Word of God. The verses that speak to you, what does it exactly mean? And you're able to keep those lessons, those teachings, those truths in your heart, in your mind all the time. The young people, the young adults can also get together in their procedures, talk about, you know, given my busy schedule, how do I fit in time? to be with the Lord's Word, maybe 15-20 minutes here and there each day, and then accumulate the Word of Truth in their hearts and minds. And I think if we do this in a very intentional way, knowing that we are in battle, knowing that Satan is looking around like a prowling lion seeking someone to devour, we can be successful in encouraging one another in this discipline. And uh, I don't see it as something which is old-fashioned, that is something because now we have iPhones, we have this and that, we don't need to have the Word of God in our heads because we can always, at the tap of a finger, get into the Word of God. But I don't think we ought to be that presumptuous because there could be times when we don't have access to the phone. Maybe our dependence is on it instead of the Holy Spirit to bring to our minds God's Word. Then we are on the wrong track. So will you decide today to begin this discipline of keeping God's Word in your heart. Now, as we keep God's Word in our hearts, we are better able to impress them on our children and to teach and talk about them in our daily life and interactions with them. We all know that children watch their parents like a hawk. Right? What they see in their attitudes and behaviours, they consciously or unconsciously emulate. They mirror our attitudes toward God and the things of God. And we can only influence our children to love the Lord with their whole heart and soul if we ourselves first show them that we love God wholeheartedly. So the question we want to ask is, do our children see us put our desires, our wills, our purposes in life, our affection, our feelings, our thoughts about God under His control? Or do we go off at the tension in a very fleshly and carnal way when faced with decisions that we have to make in life? The questions we have to ask ourselves this morning and constantly is, are we being transformed or have been transformed in some aspect of our character 
because of our faith in God and because of the impact of scriptures all down the past decades in our life. If the children see no evidence of any real change, no sincere, genuine change in our life, they will be hard put to follow any instruction that we can give them. So it's our transformation attracting our children to want to emulate our attitudes, our values, our character and our conduct. Or do we discourage or cause them to stumble instead? So in this regard, it would, we would do well to be aware of Jesus' somber warning to his disciples. Mark eight, Matthew 18, 6, he says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So such is the seriousness with which Jesus looks at the kind of impact his disciples have on the younger ones. But besides loving God wholeheartedly and keeping his word in their hearts, parents are also to talk to their children about the word of God whenever and wherever they, they can. So take every chance you can to practice faith talk with your children. Remember that faith talk is a never-ending dialogue with your children. It doesn't need to end when the children grow up or leave home. So in a sense, we never stop being a parent. For those of you who are grandparents here, I see you nodding your heads. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we teach, when we teach, we tell what is right. When we rebuke, we tell or point out what is wrong. When we correct, we show how to get right. And when we train in righteousness, we keep them on the right track. Show how to stay right. Now, discipline is an integral part of raising God-fearing children. As parents, we can make a mistake or we can err on either side. Either we are too fearful of the pain that we inflict on our child, we don't like to see our child crying, or at the other, other extreme, we don't know what to do in a particular given situation. Or we, worse, which is worse, you know, indifferent, not interested in disciplining the child when it is needed. But we know from scriptures that God is a disciplinarian, Right? He disciplines us, however, for our good, so that we may share His holiness as Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11 very clearly indicate. They, referring to parents, disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. It has been said, and I like this saying, there is a love which can ruin a child by shutting his eyes to his faults. And there is a love which can mend a, little, a child because it sees him with the clarity of the eyes of Jesus Christ. So the question we want to ponder is, which do we prefer? that the child cries under loving and healthy correction 
or that we, as parents, down the road, cry over the bitter fruit from failure to discipline. Parents need wisdom to pick the behaviour that truly requires discipline. It must be rooted in love that seeks the long-term good of the child. So the fruits of loving discipline of our children, the Bible gives us. First, children develop wisdom when they are correctly disciplined. Children are blessed when they are disciplined. And children respect their parents for their discipline, but more importantly, they are later on able to accept the discipline of God in later life because they have appreciated the value of discipline in their family life. So parents, have you given thought on how you are parenting your child to achieve the kind of fruit that the Bible talks about? So how about encouraging your child? So we don't want to only think about the negative, huh? putting things right, correcting, etc., etc. In today's competitive academic environment and a very interactive cyberspace, children are constantly exposed to the message, not good enough. Would you agree? So how do we counter, help our children counter such messages? It is devastating, especially in the teen years, to be compared unfavorably with your peers or to be looked down unfavorably by your peers or seniors. We all know that. So how can we counter such messages when they come in their lives? I would say perhaps one way is positive parental nurturing. We can convey words of affirmation whenever they have attempted a challenging task to the best of their ability or express words of admiration when they have accomplished a difficult task well. So how often do we do that? I think in our Asian culture, we tend to be more reserved and even when a child is doing something which is to the best of his or her ability, we don't show words of appreciation. So we have to learn to get out of our Asian shell and learn to verbalize positive thoughts like that because it is important, because we need to know our children are receiving negative messages all the time. Their classmates may be, inverted commas, doing better than them, etc., etc. And they are comparing themselves and they are asking themselves, am I important? What, how do I improve? How do I get better? And they need a lot of encouragement. Parents today, however, as I can recognize, they are preoccupied with their own things. And I would say, and if you open your eyes in the public places, that you'll find it's not uncommon to see at a table in a eating place, parents sticking at, not children, you know, parents sticking at their handphones, looking at their handphones, while their children aimlessly look around, looking at the parents for attention and not getting it. All right, and I think that's one of the saddest things to note. And I don't think as Christians we ought to make that a feature of our interaction at the table. Right? Perhaps if you have not already done so, should ban the use of phones or media or looking at media during dinner time, meal time in your homes. That's the least you can do. Because there's a time when you have a captive audience, there's a time when you can engage the children. You can listen to what is in their hearts, give them a listening ear, and maybe even scold them if you need to, but you have to find that time when they are receptive and available. 
Next, parents, do we bless our children? And for this, I would like to thank Kok Fai for bringing me uh, attention to this particular verse. And this was an uh, incident in first, reported in First Chronicles 16, where it talks about the life in King David at the time when he was bringing his warriors away from his enemies. And uh, he found a place to pitch a tent, a t to build a tabernacle for worship to the Lord place where he could bring the Ark of the Covenant, which the men were carrying. So he had built the tent, the Ark of the Covenant was in place. He wanted to make sure that worship of God was in order, so he gave different duties to different groups of men to do this, to do that for the, for the worship of the Lord. And having done that, the last verse of First Chronicles 16 in verse 43 states that all the men then, having done their work, went home, so to David, and then what he did was he went home to bless his household. <clears throat> so what a great, great fatherly example it is. So how can we bless? How can we do likewise? <clears throat> I would suggest we can pray for our children two ways. One is to pray for their spiritual growth. Their spiritual growth should always be at the top of our heads. The desire to see them grow in the knowledge of God to grow in love for the Lord, to grow in their relationship and deepen their relationship with God, is should be one of our prior prayer items. Because we pray that not only for ourselves, but certainly we should be praying that for our children. So we ask for them what we would ask for ourselves in our relationship with God. An example would be Paul's prayer. And I don't mean that we take the word for word, but we can look at the essence of what Paul was praying for the Christians in Philippi, Philippi for example. He says that your love may abound. And when we choose a prayer like that, you can personalize it for your child. Right? So, Barnabas, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God, if it has to be that you copy that verse down on a piece of paper as you pray for the child or son or child or daughter, adult or young, so be it. Right? You want to capture the essence of the heart of a fatherly person, of a, of a spiritual mentor in this case. Secondly, pray for spiritual protection for the children. Prayer is a very powerful antidote. Something that we are aware of, right? We all aware of the value and the power of prayer. It is a powerful antidote to the toxic influence, I would say, the toxic influence of constant images and messages that come to us through social media, which leave us and our children vulnerable to sin of every kind, every single day. That's the reality of our life today. That's part of the spiritual warfare that we all are in. So don't you think we need to ask God to guard our children's minds and also our minds from harmful instruction, sinful ways, and to grant us discernment and wisdom to choose goodness and truth? I believe that when we give this kind of prayers to God, He is pleased and He will provide a divine hedge of unbreakable protection when he finds parents praying for the spiritual protection and welfare of their household. Surely God who sees such prayers, hears such prayers, will answer far more abundantly than we can expect or think.
Now, Deuteronomy 6, 8 also talks about tying God's word in as symbols on the hands, bring, binding them on our foreheads, and writing them on the door frames of our houses. Now, G, G, uh, the Jews take this instruction literally, and so phylacteries, uh, these are boxes with scriptures written in them, they put them in the boxes, and then they literally tie them on their foreheads, on the different parts of their body, including their arms, and sometimes even in the clothing, the tassels of their long clothes. But this probably was not the intention, the spirit of the teaching, the spirit of the instruction, right? So what is the principle behind this particular injunction of Moses? See, as the hands, as I thought about it, think about the hands being the means of action, things that you do with your hands. So the deeds that we do, they are to reflect the love of God. So doing little things with a lot of love. That has been said of Mother Teresa, came to my mind when I thought about this. Do we do little things with love in our hearts, in the home, right? Towards other people that we meet. Likewise, the binding of God's word on the forehead is to symbolize that we are to be mindful of God's thoughts and allow them to guide and influence our everyday life. The reference has been made earlier to Psalm 119, 9-11 on the secret to living a God-pleasing life. And that is the hidden word in the heart. So here again is a reminder to keep God's word in our hearts and minds. So I ask myself again, has it become a lost discipline with the advent of the smartphone and its applications? And if we understand human nature, we are all creatures of convenience. We want things that are convenient. And if it is convenient to just flip the button to get the Bible, why do I need to memorize? So when we think along that way, forgive me for being so repetitive, uh, it's part of aging. Um, <laughs> you know, when we think along that way, we lose the battle. We already have the battle lost, right? Because we know that we are giving up a very, very important armor, and that is the Word of God which is the sword of the Spirit. And we don't have the Word of God in our battle, we are defenseless. The Holy Spirit, no matter how full we are of the Holy Spirit, if there's nothing for the Holy Spirit to use as a weapon, namely the Word of God, it is of no use. We handicap or we hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in that sense. So that the Word of God should be written on the door frames of our homes possibly refers to the avenues of our contact with various people in our everyday life that God divinely arranges in the home as well as outside the home. These are the divinely provided opportunities for us to interact with all kinds of people. Right? Firstly, those who are in the home, our neighbours, our work colleagues that we meet every day, people who are visitors who come, invitation or, or out of the blue, they come in. Or it could be home service providers who are strangers providing something that you aren't wanted them to do for the house. These are the people that come in and out of our homes. That They don't come by chance, right? They are all divinely arranged. So when there is faith at home, when there is the aroma of Christ in the lives of the believers at home, the presence of God can be felt in the lives of these people. And uh, I know that we all sometimes take all these things for granted. But when we are reminded that, yes, when people come in at our homes, we want them to feel and know the goodness, the love of God, then I think our interactions will be of a different nature. 
take on a different tone. So in la lastly, I would like to say that the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, 6.33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. They are a good commentary of the Deuteronomy passage. The Lord knows our heart's desire to have spiritual vitality in the home. He knows the struggles that, and the factors that militate against the development of this kind of spiritual ambience, if I may say so, in the home. Things that we as God's people really desire to cultivate, to nurture, and so on. He knows that. But he asks us, and so he asks us to place our hand in his and walk with him by faith in the lifelong endeavor to grow faith in the home. And he promises to help us accomplish it. He will never let go because he is at the center of the, such a home. So Moses admonished the Israelites to be role models of God's love in their homes. So if we love God, we will obey Him and teach our children to do likewise. So this morning, we'd like you to take some time to consider this and ask yourself, is this a priority that God wants me to take on for this year and for the coming years of my life on earth? God has placed each one of us in homes. God desires that we magnify and glorify Him. God desires us to enjoy his love as our Heavenly Father. He wants us to teach this to our children that He gives us and blesses us with. And He wants others that we come to contact with through the doors of our homes, inside as well as outside, to experience and to know the blessings of His love. And when more and more people put God as first in His life, He is pleased. In their lives, He is pleased. And he is glorified. And so, I trust that this topic about what it means to have faith in the home will cause us to examine our motivations, examine our priorities, and to give our priorities to the right areas. Firstly, putting each and every significant area in our life under the control of God, and then making a commitment to keep His Word in our hearts faithfully, so that we can pass them on to our children. So let us pray together. Our dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word has given to us this morning. Reminds us, Father, that you want us to love you with all our heart and with all our mind and all our soul. Father, we know that that is the best for us. We know that apart from you, Lord, there will be so much suffering, there will be so much meaninglessness in life. We thank you that when we pursue you as a primary person in our life, you will put all things right. Father, I want to pray, I want to pray for all the young families here in the church as they, uh, they, as they take on the responsibility of parenting, of teaching your word to the children. Lord, help them to put you on the love of God in their lives. Help them to first commit every area of their life to you. And as they do so, Father, you will bless them, you will help them, you will guide them so that they can become influential in leading and guiding their children to follow after your ways. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit will 
be in each and every home that seeks to honour you and put you first, that they will experience such special blessings, Lord, that others too who come to contact with them will know of your love and of your goodness and of your reality. Help us even as we live in a world today that is so uh, strong in the influence of the messages that it gives that are contrary Lord, to what is good for your people. We pray that you give us the wisdom to know how to use your word effectively in our lives to counter the influence that the world brings. So we commit each one of ourselves to you, each one of the families into your hands and pray for the Holy Spirit to continue to bring these thoughts to our conscious mind so that Lord, we will act on them. So we give you thanks for everything in Jesus' precious name. Amen.